Hey everybody, uh, my name is John, and I'm here with my good friend Joe, and today we're going to record our very first episode of our podcast about uh, HBO's Rome. Uh, we still don't have a name for this podcast, because I was going to call it the Romecast, but I realized that there is already a Catholic uh, podcast with that name uh, about uh, gossip in the Vatican, uh, so I can't, <laughs> so they, they scooped us on that one. So now you have to come up with something else. They've been doing that for a while now. I know. They're terrible. So anyway, uh, we are two uh, very good friends uh, who uh, decided to record a podcast about HBO's Rome uh, after we got into a very long conversation about how much we love this show. And uh, in a way, it was like finding someone uh, who knew a mutual friend because this is not a show I've been able to talk to people about uh, very often, because a lot of times people either don't know about the show or they don't care about the show. Uh, and why should they? It's a 15 year old show <laughs> about Rome <laughs> that ran for two seasons before it got canceled. Uh, but Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about why uh, this show is special to you and uh, what you're looking forward to doing here in this podcast? Yeah, so I always enjoy the show. So I will admit this was this show was like my methadone in between various um, Game of Thrones binges. I was all caught up. I'm like, oh, wow, I really need a sword and sandal uh, epic to like fill in the void. And so I, that led me to watching some pretty terrible television. But uh, I finally stumbled upon Rome, which I had bizarrely never heard of for all, like considering that all of the major names in it had never heard of it. Uh, and I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. Infinitely better. Um, much like other great uh, seasons uh, or shows, cancel before its time. But um, it, to me, what I enjoy, besides the the writing and I think a fun interpretation of these events that everyone just like like it's it's like this period of Roman history, 1984, and then like Kafka. These are all like the the journalists and politics writers can like learn how to refer to. Uh, so like this is just constantly like the ghost of like this period of Roman history is constantly in the news or in politics anyways. Yes. And, and so it was a great like recent, semi-recent fresh view, um, you know, and portrayal of it. And then weirdly just totally disappears. Nobody ever talks about it ever again. They're like big names. It's HBO back when like HBO was, HBO is still big, but there's so many other streaming services yes. and hosting services now. And so HBO was like the hot new thing. And so everything, the stars totally aligned for this to be like a show that people talk about and remember, and it just never happened. And so it's totally, and it's not like a firefly where it gets its due, right? There's still a cult uh, you know, um, revival of Firefly and the TV show, the movie and the internet presence. Just there is none of that for Rome. And so it's a huge uh, shame, in my opinion, because I think it's it's probably one of the best TV shows of the early 2000s, because the early 2000s yes. is so yes. culturally barren, much like the 90s, where it's just, it's so dead. And yet here's one really good TV show to come out of it. I mean, there was Sopranos. Which was that's true. That's true. That's true. I just refinished that one again. Uh, but so th there's there's a lot going. There's a lot to be said for it, and it gets zero cred. It's like the Rodney Dangerfield of great HBO shows, <laughs> and it's a shame. Uh, so as soon as I found the other person who was a fan of the show, I was pretty excited. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I really love uh, this show for several reasons. I think it is a fantastically act acted uh, bit of television. I think there is not one dull performance in it. And uh, it's all over the place. It's not just like a, a few star turns here and there, right? It is consistently uh, well acted. So you mm -hmm. have names like Kieran Hines, Polly Walker, uh, my darling, James Purefoy. Uh, you have uh, <laughs> Tobias Menzies, you have uh, Ray Stevenson and Kevin McKidd, which are just Two of the best and most uh, underrated actors, I think. Uh, yes. You'll find. Uh, like even the expository uh, device, right? The announcer, who, the big fat announcer who reads out the news to let mm -hmm. you know where you are historically. Uh, that's, uh, what's his name? Ian McNeese? That's the guy who played Baron Harkonnen on <laughs> right. Sci Fi Dune. Like, it's a great actor. Uh, so uh, just all around, like in every quarter of the show, 
Nicholas Woodson of Potsdam, the wonderful, wonderful character actor. So just at every corner you look, like there are these fantastic performers. Uh, and the other reason I really love the show is that uh, it's a period of history I think I'm, I'm very familiar with. Uh, and I think we're all familiar with it. I think this is the single uh, most investigated and relitigated and uh, argued about uh, event in ancient history, right? Uh, the rise and, and death of Caesar, uh, the death of the Republic, and the beginning of the imperial uh, period in Roman history. So it's just, uh, it's like walking into a room full of friends, right? Where you know all these people. Right. And uh, even though there are new versions of them and these different takes on the characters, there's still people that uh, you have spent a lot of time with already. So that it's, it's like a, 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 a bit of a reunion party every time you meet these characters again. Yeah, uh, and it's odd because like the this this period in Roman history compared to every other period is easily far more influential. Like everyone learns until relatively recently learns Latin because of Cicero. Like Cicero's Latin becomes the Latin. Yeah. It's like if every if it's it's like if in a thousand years the main English essays everyone has is like Andrew Sullivan. Oh, like no, don't say that. About <laughs> that's the English it. everyone's going to speak uh, in the whatever uh, is, is going on in a thousand years, whatever American, Sino-American combo uh, that rules the world. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, you know, you, no, one's, no one's really reading uh, by contrast, like in every single school, it, it's, it's Latin from this period, right? It's Cato, it's Cicero, um, it's the Gallic Wars. Like it just, it, it punches way above its weight. Yes. Uh, so, uh, that's the reason I love this show. Like there's, there's a lot of reasons I love this show and I'll be going into a lot of them, uh, with you. Uh, but so just, I, we want to make everyone, uh, know, right. Uh, we are not approaching this show, uh, in a kind of like analytical, critical kind of, uh, uh, deep perspective. We're just two guys who really enjoy a TV show and enjoy talking, uh, about it with each other and decided to just put it on a podcast. So, uh, I think we could get started uh, with a bit of a synopsis of what happens in this first episode. Uh, is there anything you want to add before we get started here uh, into the episode proper? Yeah, so every episode, and you know, does, I don't think it changes from season one to season two as far no. as I know. What? Um, the, the, the credit, the opening credits. No, right? it does not. No, it does not. And I actually quite like them uh, for... The fun reason of, I think, like all the obscene graffiti reminds me of every restroom that I've ever been in. Public <laughs> restroom. And I, I like it. It says that every, that, that basically dudes rock from now all the way back to then that every guy well, who's actually <laughs> scrawling his ex's name in a men's restroom or whatever the Roman equivalent of swastika was, uh, that's been going on since forever and you can't stop it. You, uh, it's to me, it's fun. It's I would funny. contest. I would contest that being an instance of dudes rocking, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> and then on top of that, the uh, one, it actually, uh, in, in more seriousness, it shows um, Rome as a really gritty, dirty place. We always think of it like if you go to the British Museum, right, and see all the amazing art uh, that's left over uh, that they uh, basically looted from the rest of the world. Um, it's one, it's fantastic, but it, it is all, um, you know, bleached. It's all, it's, it's totally ripped out of its own context. And so we kind of tend to think it's, it's what we do to the American founders. Now we think of the American founders as these Roman statues that got together. And yeah. um, whereas HBO, John Adams did a great job of showing them as a bunch, you know, as the guy, the real people they were. who And, and that had and did each them, other. It went even better. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, we should do a podcast later. If this just, if this makes us gobs of money, we should do a podcast on this how will never make anyone. Both HBO's Rome does not make HBO money. <laughs> uh, this is, this is never, no, that's not going to happen. And, um, but we should do one devoted to uh, a bonus episode, at least devoted, devoted to hating Hamilton. But um, it, it shows it, the, the, the opening credits show, like, I think a more realistic place where people live and are people in all of the, on all the ways that people are horrible. And then lastly, which is fun, there is not a single Italian person in the credits uh, <laughs> at all. They don't exist. Um, confirming my theory that uh, Rome is actually inhabited by ancient English people. 
that yes. everything that everything every trope about Roman society we know of is actually English, right? You have the plebs who are just feral people. Um, you know, oh, you're, you're Cockneys, North FC, your your soccer fans. Um, you've got your you know um, vague. Everyone's everyone who's rich is vaguely gay. Everyone's just a little like there's no one that's fully straight. Everyone's well, a it, little, well, it is ancient Rome. I mean, there's, yeah. there's <laughs> a little bit going on there. Everyone's like they went to Eaton as far as their sexuality goes. Um, and then, um, right, and, and then there's the occasionally truly aristocratic Chad. You're Wellington, you're Julius Caesar. I think it all lines up. I think Jeffrey Monmouth is onto something, that the Britons are the true Romans. Um, there's, there's something here. It's, it's time to wake up sheeple. And I think the cr opening credits showing just English people uh, and Irish people uh, says something. I think there's, there's a hidden history here that's being denied to us, stolen. Stolen from us, for sure. I like how you set out to prove your anger eventually. Right? There's yes. Like, within the first 10 minutes of our first episode, just alienating everyone with uh, conspiracy teenagers about Lombards. And, uh, how yes. Not only, not only was Blake right that Jesus... Not only did did Jesus's feet walk in those ancient times in England, but it's all it's all England actually. It's the meme where it's like, wait, it's all the British Isles. Yes, it's always, it always has been. So, for the record, let me just state that I'm of the position that the English people are one of the grossest nations that ever lived because like that, they're always going, oh, we were we were Gothic times in Brazil, and like we're the Romans, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like the person who uh, finds out who the Scots wives were, and it's always, oh, I was uh, Napoleon and Elizabeth I. Right. It's never anyone boring. The, 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 but in a way, that is what the Romans do, right? The Romans show up and they just steal everything from everybody. They go, oh, Greeks? Yeah, we, that's what we do. <laughs> oh you're cool uh iliad yeah we got our own actually it's and it's the bad guys from the iliad so it turns out uh right it, it's it's the romans again there's something here there's something to it we gotta wake up all right so uh, anyway um let me do a brief synopsis of what happens in this first episode and uh, we'll just go tacking on uh great things that don't really uh, love about uh, this first episode. I think it is it is unbelievably topical. And it's mm -hmm. topically in, in, uh, in a way that uh, the show hasn't hit its stride yet. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Because it is a historical show. It's not like Game of Thrones where everything's made up. They can just go introduce some bits and pieces of that world until everyone figures out what's going on. Uh, there is a historical backdrop there, and we have to know about it. Uh, but you also have to establish these characters as real people that you want to relate to and want to watch. Uh, and I think the show does a pretty clunky job in this first episode of setting up the world, and it does a fantastic job of establishing the characters. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in the expository part of the show, right, uh, it's always uh, these boring conversations where it's like... Uh, uh, Octavian is talking to his mother and they're discussing, everyone knows that Julius Caesar is going to come back to Rome after he's done the right. Gauls. Now that person Gedrix has been defeated in the Battle of Alicia. And it's, like, it's, it's done rather artlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, however, however, what the show does fantastically is uh, give every character within a minute or two after they're first introduced, right? You see them a bit in the scene, the very next scene they're in, they're doing something that is going to let you know this is who this person is. Right. And it's just little, little things, right? So the first we see of Caesar, he gets a letter telling him his daughter dies. Uh, 30 seconds later, he's already plotting and scheming with Mark Anthony saying we need to give uh, Pompey a, a new life, right? Uh, the right. first you see of Pompey, uh, uh, two scenes later, uh, what's his character, uh, what, how is this character established? It's Julius Caesar got the horse I wanted. Why does he have to have everything and going into sulking rage, right? Exactly. 
You see Mark Anthony for a minute. The next minute, he's embezzling money from Caesar. You see Lucius Verinas for a minute. He's pulling some disobedient soldier's ass out of battle to save his life. That soldier's name, Titus Polo, punches him in the face and goes to jail. <laughs> it acts like a dumbass. Uh, you see uh, uh, Atia, right? The first you see of her, she is having sex with one of her lackeys. And the next scene, she's just bathing naked. The first thing you, time you see uh, Octavian, he's, right. <laughs> he's full peeking through well. the court, he's peeking through the curtains at his naked mother, uh, getting called in. And here's the little detail that I love about that, that introduction scene for uh, 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 Octavian, is that he's talking to his mother and uh, a serving girl uh, brings a little stool from the sit-in. And he, she accidentally touches him. And he just flicks his hand and just backhands her viciously. <laughs> oh, yeah. It it's is like, an underrated this is the person we've seen for one minute. And already, like, this is the, and already, you know, for the rest of the series, this is the person we're dealing with. This is the, this is the version of Caesar Augustus that the show is going to present to us. Rewatching it for this, because I think, of, I think this is probably my fourth time now. Okay. And, because uh, because I, I would use it uh, like back when I used to think Game of Thrones would be good. In between seasons, I'm like, All right, I can knock out these two seasons. Back <laughs> when it was good, it was good for about four seasons. Yes, and so like, I held out that hope of like, all right, it will be good again. Uh, and I'm like, nope, wow, that was it, it was this very Ethereum hope of like he'll come back. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> nope, uh, turns out no. Um, but so I would always rewatch it now and then, and. It's it's supposed to be or like I was more I was more gulled by like oh wow it's this shocking transformation Octavian the little lovable scamp who's just oh, way no. too smart for his own good oh, no. <laughs> oh episode one you're like oh my gosh this guy rewatching now I'm like this guy's a sociopath this is some real dark it's not just the Falwell peeking in sort of vibe going on it is the full blown like psychopathy. Um, yes. especially at the end of the episode but like episode one you're like I was like oh this character is so much harsher and and gross like for a 13 year old it's really scary to see a scary 13 year old like it's different to see a scary man you're like yeah there's something Machiavellian about Caesar and like to see a scary 12 year old you're like okay yes. that is actually actually unnerving <laughs> uh, here's the thing uh, he's a 13 year old who can see through Caesar's plotting when no one else in Rome can see what's going on yeah, uh, apparently not, right? So it's just uh, a, a wonderful... Uh, so again, th this, this first episode does a fantastic job of establishing these characters for who they're going to be. Like, uh, just an example I forgot to bring up. Cicero, the first time he shows up in this show, mm -hmm. he uh, first uh, calls everyone's attention, like, hey, everyone, pay attention to Pompey. But Pompey, before you go on, and he tries to cut into his speech and interrupt <laughs> this idea of... This guy in love with the sound of his own voice, right? It's the John Kasich of Rome. Yes, it, it, yes. So uh, he is just a, uh, again, the first episode does a fantastic job uh, of establishing these characters. Now, the main characters of Rome are uh, Lucius Farinas, played by Kevin McKidd, and Titus Polo, uh, played by uh, Ray Stevenson. And let me tell you something. Uh, I think, uh, I'm going to keep praise, praising the acting in the show over and over and over. Uh, but I think that Kevin McKidd and Ray Stevenson aren't just perfect in these roles. Uh, they are the exact actors I would want to see in those roles. If, I, oh, if, you, if you gave me a dream casting, uh, for example, uh, I, I won't go too long into Kevin McKidd, but uh, have you seen uh, Topsy Turvy by Michael Lay? I have not. It's a story about the Mikado. It's a two and a half hour movie about how the, the first production of the Mikado. And it's delightful. And it has several actors from this uh, series in it, because of course, an English movie. Uh, but uh, Kevin McKidd plays this diva actor, right? He's the, he's a leading man in the Mikado. Uh, and so uh, there's a prolonged like five minute scene where he goes into a snit about how uh, wearing a kimono to the stage would be undignified for a British actor. And he goes like, oh, well, he's showing my legs. Like, this is not unfair to my wife, right? She gets to see my legs. The world does not get to see my legs. And he just freaks out and just throws this little, this hissy little shit bit about how, <laughs> how uh, his, his dignity was offended by the fact that he has to wear a kimono to the stage. Uh, and that, 
that performance, that energy is all there uh, in Lucius Farinas, where you have a guy who's very smug, very self-satisfied, very proud of his position as a centurion, and he is absolutely playing the straight man to uh, Titus Bullos' uh, goofball. And Ray Stevenson, for those of you who do not know this, right, but you can find him in several movies carrying the same kind of manic energy, where even, uh, uh, have you ever seen Punisher Warzone? I have not. Uh, Punisher Warzone has Ray Stevenson playing the Punisher. And it works in a way that no filmed version of the Punisher ever has for me. Because the Punisher TV show tries to play the character straight. Like, yeah. oh, this is uh, an emotional uh, uh, examination of the psychological damage done by violence upon a man's soul. But no, like the Punisher is uh, an evil cartoon genocidaire who goes around killing people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like his, he is just this, this crazy fascist who goes from town to town wiping out entire swaths of, 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 the, of the criminal underworld. Uh, and you have to play him as a kind of goofy, over-the-top, uh, elemental, like, death machine, which Ray Stevenson does. Oh, but he perfect. does it in a completely, how can I say it? How can I put this? He, he, he's not goofy in that movie, but the entire movie around him is goofy. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, there's one scene in that movie that I, I love. I, whenever, I, whenever people ask me, like, why do you like this movie? I'll, I'll tell them this scene. There's a scene where uh, he's getting chased around by three uh, henchmen of, of the bad guy. And they're uh, parkour guys. So they're, like, leaping from building to building and coming after him and jumping six feet in the air and just doing these crazy stunts. And you know that scene in uh, Indiana Jones where the guy does the whole intricate sword play and then Indiana Jones just shoots him? Right, yeah, blast him. There's this version times 100 where you have these three shitheads uh, leaping from building to building with like heavy metal playing behind them. And then you see him just pull out a rocket launcher and shoot one of them out of the air. <laughs> and just blow him to pieces uh, while, they, while his friends are watching. That's the kind of movie that... Uh, Ray Stevenson's Punisher is, right? So uh, he brings this wonderful, chaotic, uh, uh, amoral energy to a lot of his roles that I think just uh, works perfectly uh, for Titus Polo. So anyway, I'm talking, 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 talking. Here's the plot. Uh, we have a little introduction. The narrator has to come out and say, oh, back in the day, uh, Rome was divided and uh, all that kept it together was these two soldiers, Pompey and Julius Caesar. But alas, right, the, the, their alliance is fraying. And in fact, we're picking up the story at a very famous moment, right? This is the siege of Elysia. This is the moment where uh, the Gallic War uh, effectually uh, comes to an end, right? Vercingetorix is captured. He surrenders to Caesar. Uh, and uh, during that final battle, uh, the, the moment right before the spoils, uh, this uh, soldier, this legionary, Titus Pullo, disobeys orders during the battle, right? And puts his commander's life at risk and punches his commander when uh, uh, Lucius Freenas tries to stop him. So he gets arrested, flogged, and told he's going to be crucified. Uh, in the meantime, right, while this is happening uh, in Gaul, in uh, Rome itself, uh, you have this kind of tension building, right? where the Senate fears Caesar's coming, where the Senate knows that uh, when uh, Caesar is done, uh, he might want to make himself king of Rome. Uh, and Pompey, of course, is very jealous because he fears Caesar for usurping his place in the hearts of the people. And uh, his wife, uh, Caesar's daughter, had just died. So all that tied them together personally is also uh, over. And uh, in the middle of all that high drama and tension, right, because it's an HBO show, within I, I recorded this, I made note of it, within 12 minutes, 12 minutes and one second into the show, we have our first good old-fashioned HBO-style sex scene. Obligatory. Absolutely obligatory. 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 Well, and it's funny that I, you get the feeling, especially up until very recently, HBO 
it's almost like like there are times I will admit Rome um it, it does advance the plot, right? Or advances character development. Like it, it, it tells you something about Octavian, the fact that he's yeah, really- what, yeah, let's not spoil it. Let's not spoil it. But yeah, yeah, so there it, is it, it there is you- one sex scene here that is very fundamental to the plot. So it, it, there are moments where it's it, it does advance the plot, but there is definitely this vibe up until relatively recently HBO where they're like, well, it's HBO, so yeah, we're gonna do it. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. you're gonna see some famous titties, and it's it's just funny that like after a while it just feels a little forced. Like it's like I I know it's HBO. You don't have to remind me. I'm fully. That being said, everyone who would lecture me for watching this show or Game of Thrones. Uh, apparently is not only incapable of operating a remote, but um, and just fast forwarding, but incapable of the good old fashioned look to the side for 10 seconds. Like has no one ever watched like uh, our good friend, Caleb Wynn giving me uh, shit for watching this show. I'm like, have you never watched a movie with your parents and the sex scene comes on and you got to go, Oh shit. And you look over to the right. Come on. It is okay. You can avoid the, the, the sin for a a solid 15 seconds. It's going to be fine. And it's just, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not necessary, but it's also part of what you bargain for when you watch yes. an R-rated TV show to the point where it, you know this is in the territory, right? It's an, HBO, yeah. it's an HBO show that would go on like 10 p.m. at night. Like, you know what's in store here for you. But uh, one thing I, I, I love about this scene uh, uh, is right out, uh, so uh, uh, Atia of the Julii, Octavian's mother and niece to Julius Caesar, is having sex with one of her servants, uh, 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 a short, ugly little man. <laughs> Giving hope to short kings. Everybody. Yes, yes. Got, uh, but there's a, there's a point there where like after they're done and uh, she's still on top of him, just grabs like a, 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 a cup of wine and goes, oh, Timon, that was lovely. <laughs> and it was kind of like... <laughs> There's a certain patronizing oh, element to it. Yes. There's a certain yes. patronizing element to everything Polly Walker does in the show, yes. right? Like, there's nothing normal about her, which, you make, which makes it perfect. Yes. Uh, Polly Walker treads this very thin line because, uh, on the one hand, her character is loathsome in every way. And, like, the, she does bad things in this uh, pilot. Uh, spoiler, uh, halfway through the pilot, uh, Julius Caesar asks her to arrange a new wife for Poppy, and she makes her daughter divorce from her husband, whom she loves, uh, to marry this dirty old man. Right. Uh, and lying to her all the way. And uh, when she, her daughter is publicly humiliated, when a Poppy marries someone else, uh, she goes to a fit going, I was the one who was dragged in the mud. It's the egg on my face. And, uh, <laughs> and basically uh, uh, getting mad, not at what she inflicted on her daughter, but on the embarrassment that Poppy uh, turned back on that. Right, so exactly. She is, she, is a, she is absolutely a terrible person uh, through the run of this show. However, there is such an infectious... Uh, rejoicing in evil <laughs> in, in uh, Polly Walker's performance where she is clearly, as an actress, having so much fun with this role. She is yeah, eating up the scenery at every point. She is just this uh, whirlwind of, of emotion and fakery and Machiavellian tricks and also just stupid impulsive decisions because she is kind of crazy. Uh, we're, uh, uh, the final performance is that you have to keep reminding yourself you cannot like this character. You cannot, you cannot enjoy this character in the way that uh, you might feel tempted to enjoy her. Mm-hmm. Because she has a way, of, uh, as an actress, right? The character in herself is repulsive. But in her performance, she has a way of enticing you into thinking yourself her accomplice in, right. in her evil doing. Uh, which is... Uh, very skillful of her, I think. I think it shows what kind of actress uh, a Polly Walker is. Uh, so she has, I'll say this again and again, some of the best lines of this show uh, are Polly Walkers. And it's not that they're particularly great lines. Like again, like, oh, Tywin, uh, that was lovely, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not in itself a very witty line, but it's, it is delivered to perfection. She is, she is nailing uh, her job here. She has a very similar energy in this to uh, Helen McCrory's character in Peaky Blinders as like the matriarchal criminal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. She um, or are familiar like, with Helen McCrory. I've seen like um, maybe a few episodes, but not very, a lot. very similar vibe of someone who is clearly very thorough. It's like a weird instead of a zest for life, a weird zest for like just truly evil things. But you can't, even though you're like, this is a truly terrible person. Uh, you can't help but mildly you you enjoy them, and it's not you enjoy them in a way that's different from loving to hate them, right? Yes, no, uh, it's, it's it's not love to hate. It's you actually enjoy this character and you're happy right. when they're on the screen. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, going back to the synopsis, right? So Atia, uh, she there's a reason why she was sleeping with her ugly little uh, uh, lackey, and that was uh, she wants him to go buy a horse for her, the best stallion in Rome. Uh, which is apparently a hot item. There's a lot of rich people bidding on it. Uh, one second, please. No problem. Uh, sorry, I'm talking to someone else knocking at my door. Uh, so it's a very hot item. There's a lot of people bidding for this horse. Uh, everyone wants it. Uh, she's able to get it. And she sends her son to Gaul uh, uh, to give it to Caesar himself, right? And you can tell Octavian uh, kind of despises his mother. <laughs> throughout every interaction he has with her in this first episode. Oh, completely. uh, Is a real Freudian, like, obviously an overblown thinker, but, like, at some point, you're like, okay, there's clearly something to the theory. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, all his interactions with his family members uh, in this first episode are profoundly creepy, right? So you have, for instance, uh, him peeking into his mother and watching her naked as she bathes. Uh, You have, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, it's just a small moment. Uh, And in retrospect, like knowing what we know happens uh, later on in the show, uh, it gets a very creepy vibe where he's packing to leave and his sister just kind of pulls a ring from her finger and puts it in the little bag of personal belongings he's holding around Mm -hmm. his neck, right? And just kind of holding him together like, oh, little Gaius, come here. And it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, a weirdly, and we'll obviously talk about it later, but like their relationship is weirdly for all the time that they get. Uh, and both the actors are, are quite good. Although I feel like um, I feel bad for Carrie Condon who plays, um, who plays his sister because I feel like it's a little bit of a, a straight woman to the point of kind of being a little boring. Like the character by definition, it has to be boring. That's her character is yes. kind of the dunce that everybody con- continually plays. But for all the time that they get on screen and for such an important relationship, it becomes, it doesn't really get developed in the same way as some like, as like his friendship with Titus or, or others. Like it's, so it's kind of odd that it's, it's such an important friendship or a relationship thing, and it doesn't get as developed. Um, Here's what I feel though. Mm-hmm. If they let that kind of sexual tension between siblings uh, boil on too long, uh, first of all, it will creep people out. Yeah, that's fair. The bombshell that happens when they do sleep together later on in the series, that's when things explode, right? That's a big inciting incident. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be horrifying. It's supposed to be this kind of, uh, you sympathize with Atya, right? Where he's like, uh, he mouths back at her and he just slaps her across the face, goes, you little pervert, you fucked your sister. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. It's it's one of the few moments you're like, yep, no, this is I'm actually on Adia's side here. This is uh Yes. This is unacceptable. Even by Roman standards, we have really jumped the shark on this one, guys. Yes, yes. Uh so anyway, uh Octavian is obviously displeased because he has to go to Gaul. And I can only imagine like the months of travel by horse <laughs> to deliver a stupid horse to uh, uh this man he barely knows. Uh and on his way there, uh uh, we find out that uh, Pompey uh, covets that horse. And he sends uh, basically assassins to kill two birds with one stone, right? He's already uh, has a little project to uh, undermine Caesar's efforts. And he thinks that one good way of doing that, of making Caesar's soldiers discouraged, is by having uh, some of his men dress up as Gauls, right? Dress up as Celts, as blue Spaniards, and steal... Uh, uh, Caesar's golden eagle, right? The battle, the battle standard of his legions. And uh, it's, it's a funny thing, the story about the blue eagle, sorry, about the golden eagle, because the eagle was not like a traditional Roman symbol by that time. Like we associate the, the eagle with the Roman troops today, but by 
by Caesar's time, it had been used for like, what, 40 years? So it would be like, I don't know. Yeah, it would be like the Space Force flag in a couple of Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh my God, they stole our holy banner, the Space Force flag. Like, <laughs> must defend it. That is a bit um, of an anachronism because I think that's, my guess is it's in there because of all the mythology around like the stolen uh, eagles, like the, the Ninth Legion uh-huh. and all of that mythology. Like, because to, to, to Americans with our uh, immense flag philia, it makes sense to us. Well, I guess that would be devastating to me personally if every American flag was stolen. Uh, it would be a crushing moment in my personal life. So it makes sense to us, definitely. But yeah, but like, here's, here's the beautiful thing about the scene, right? Uh, Caesar himself does not give a shit. His soldiers do not care at all, right? And Brutus even notices that. because uh, And here you see the kind of uh, uh, image of uh, Brutus as an upper-class twit, right? He's mm-hmm. a mama's boy. He's a coward. He doesn't really know how to talk to other men, real men, so Mark Anthony can just intimidate him. <laughs> the first interaction between them is Mark Anthony literally oh, coming brutal. up to him and slapping him in the back of the head, going, ah, Brutus Mealcock. And he's kind of, before Brutus can respond, just cutting him off and saying, ah, too busy, and going out to do something else. Going out to steal 35 pounds of gold from Caesar. From Caesar. Right. <laughs> Which you get the feeling Caesar knows, and he's like, this is just the cost of doing business with a person like Mark. Oh, yes. He's going to occasionally embezzle uh, the equivalent of millions of dollars from you. And that's just how, that's how it goes. That's, how it goes. that's just Mark. Mark's the scamp. Yes. Uh, but, but what I really love about that scene is that um, Brutus is like, oh, the soldiers don't seem to turn up about, about the, the stolen eagle. And Caesar's like, oh, no, they're devastated. They're at the point of mutiny. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And from that point on to the end of the episode, I don't know if you noticed this, every time Brutus repeats the story, he embroiders it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point where in the end of the episode, when uh, Pompey asks him about it, uh, Brutus is like, oh, the soldiers are pissing their pants. They're terrified. They're going to kill Caesar in mutiny because they, they don't know what to do without their eagle. <laughs> so, so Caesar very cleverly lets this, this, the theft of the eagle uh, work in his favor. Now, uh, well, that's because Brutus is also every guy. And this definitely shows up in a lot of scenes. He's every guy who wants to let everyone know he's in the know. Yes. Like, it, yes. like more than like, like sister is a little more self-aware. But like even as especially as things progress, like Brutus is like, no, 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 I, I'm not an idiot. And it's like no one. It, it's the guy who says in the conversation of the party, like, I'm not a moron. Like no yeah. one, no one called you a moron, dude. But we were, no one was even talking about you. But <laughs> like, everyone, he, but, but he knows he can sense everyone was yeah. thinking it, <laughs> so he has to say it. Uh, so uh, and it's a wonderful thing, right? The idea that uh, uh, what does uh, uh, Octavian say, like? Pompey is no deep philosopher, right? And he's bound to take a symbolic loss as a real one. Uh, And that's exactly what happens. And Caesar plays him like a fiddle. Caesar, Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you have to give Kieran Hines uh, uh, credit for this performance because he does play uh, Caesar. And and this is the wonderful thing about this performance, right? Uh, Throughout the series, Caesar is perfectly in control of his emotions, right? Caesar does not let you see him angry unless he wants you to know he is angry with you. Uh, which makes the scenes later in the series when he loses his temper and just goes nuts on people. Right. All the much better because it's like this volcano building up and building up and building up. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mark Anthony uh, pops in while Brutus and Caesar are talking and says, hey, Caesar, uh, Give me 35 pounds of, of gold so I can uh, 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 make a new eagle, right? We need a new eagle from the standards. And then he just pockets half that gold and gives the rest right. <laughs> to Lucius Verena. So, okay, in case you need to bribe someone, here's some money, go find the eagle for me. Uh, and of course, uh, Lucius Verena realizes this is a fool's errand. He is never going to find that eagle. Uh, it's, like, it's like looking for an eagle, uh, sorry, an eagle in the haystack, a needle in the haystack. Uh, and so he conscripts uh, Titus Pullo to help him in this quest. And there's some wonderful moments there, like, like a buddy cop kind of vibe that's established yes, very early 100%. on between them. Uh, we are uh, 
Titus Polo is the loose gun. He's an opportunist. He'll worship any god as long as they get him out of trouble. Right. Uh, doesn't want marriage, doesn't want a relationship. He's like, why do you need one woman? You could have any woman you like, right? Uh, so he's just a very uh, kind of free and easy kind of person. Whereas uh, Lucius Verinus is this obsessive compulsive rule follower. Uh, the line that sums up Verinus perfectly in comparison is, so they, they, they take off, right? Mm -hmm. And they, Ray Stevenson, Titus Polo is jabbering away about uh, the various uh, species of women that he's uh, forced himself on. And Veritas goes, he's like, is this all you talk about? And he goes, what, you don't like women? And it's the perfect Veritas line. Yeah, what are you gay? And he goes like, I'm not gay. Of course I love women. I'm married. (laughs) It's the perfect, I wish uh, if there were more seasons, there had been a deeper uh, like a deeper examination of the moment because that is to me one of the unintentionally funniest lines in the entire show. Yes. Like, what, what do you mean? I'm not gay. Uh, uh, I'm married. I, I don't know how I could be gay if I'm married. It is perfect. It absolutely perfect. Yes. Line. Uh, there's a scene later on when uh, Verinus is talking about his wife, and he basically explains to uh, 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 Titus Pull like, "Oh, my wife. She has this this little button right near uh, oh, close there." And, and then oh, this is so embarrassing. And Titus Polo is just going at him like, "Are you talking about our clitoris?" And Verena <laughs> <laughs> like, freaks out because he thinks this is something somehow just peculiar to his life. Oh my god, it's, it's so it's, good. It's it's, <laughs> it's just so it's it's really like the conversation in uh, in Forty Year Old Virgin where they all find out simultaneously that he has not had sex by how he talks about it and they're like wait dude have you ever had sex it's it is a the yeah i the the tension between them as friends and also like veritas's utter cluelessness well-intentioned cluelessness versus titus polo's like just total stupid uh carefree uh hedonism is is absolutely perfect in a way it's like uh veritas is a uh 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 a book learned innocent, mm-hmm. uh, while uh, Titus Polo is a worldly dumbass. Yes, where, uh, yes. So even if Polo is an idiot, he's still more experienced in life and the ways of the world, <laughs> uh, in, in ways that show throughout throughout uh, the series. Uh, anyway, we got. I think we're running out of time pretty soon because we've been at it for a while now. <laughs> uh, so let's just wrap up the, the first episode here. Uh, Octavian. Uh, gets his horse stolen by bandits. They kind of like torment him by making him pull their baggage and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of, as I can't blame them. Like if I were a bandit and I just stumbled on an aristocratic, like rich kid. Oh yeah, I could hold for ransom. Like you've got to like make him pull your wagon and just come up with him a little bit and just uh, make his life hell for a little bit. And uh, here's, here's, let, let me put it this way. This show kind of balances very well uh, sometimes a very subtle and very tragic uh, 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 story with these little moments of like a history of the world part one level comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of those for me is uh, when uh, they get their horses stolen, which is basically Verena saying, okay, I'm the boss. Uh, you keep guard for the first three hours and you wake me up and then I'll keep guard for the rest of the night. And he's like, sure, boss. And then he just immediately falls asleep and their horse right. <laughs> no guarding them. I love that scene. It's, it's just a small moment, but uh, I, I love how the, the camera pans from his face going, yes, sir, I'm attent, I'm alert, I'm awake. And the very next scene is the, fa- the camera just smash cut uh, to uh, Polo just kind of like, uh, you know, when you're like, when you're like barely waking up and you're just like, mm-hmm. Your mouth just kind of moves a little bit and just like <laughs> snorting a little in your sleep. Like that, that little moment of like peaceful sleep as their horses and like all the gold and all the stuff just gets stolen right from under them. Uh, but of course, that is uh, very lucky. And, and I love how this show uh, uh, continually plays on this idea of uh, luck as this kind of evil force. Yes. That, uh, 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 that, uh, there's a moment when Verena says something to the effect of, oh, fortune pisses on me, right? The idea that yes. uh, the, the gods of fate have turned against me. He's speaking truer than he knows, I think, because this, <laughs> this entire series, it kind of perversely plays on the power of coincidence over and over and over and over to the point where uh, even when things turn 
look like they can't happen the way they did in the history books, uh, we know how the story ends. So we know that they have to happen this way. The coincidences will shake out. Uh, they cannot escape their fates. Uh, so in uh, that wonderful moment of coincidence, he finds, uh, 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 they find uh, Octavian and the horse. Uh, and a moment later, they find out that the wagon full of bandits that stole Octavian's horse is also the same bandits hired by Poppy uh, who stole the Golden Eagle. Right. So they get to ride back into Caesar's camp with the golden eagle in tow, and everyone starts cheering for them, and they get a, a cash reward, and everything's doing great. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Caesar sends uh, just one moment that I really didn't like in this pilot. Do you notice how uh, Poppy's agent has Poppy's name tattooed on his head? It's a little too. It's like, come come on, Poppy, you're smarter than this. Yeah, like, and not just that, like, I don't think they did that in ancient Rome, like, tattoo someone's name to your head. I've never, because, like, that that does seem like an American anachronism, right? Like, because the like, the fluidity between being slave and free, even though, like, exactly, I think the exactly. show uh, shows very well how brutal it is to be a slave. Um, and it does a great job, I think, of, of like, implicitly and, and very... Um, subtly showing that i'm just like damn this is this is rough stuff but roman society doesn't have there's no black code in roman society yeah. um so i really can't i'll have to look it up i i because I, I am unfamiliar with that but it, do, it does seem like a little too on the nose it does seem like showing the viewer no no really this is remember this is pompey his friend doing this do you remember the guy from the first scene like so it, it i don't that does not seem accurate to me yes. i could be wrong yes uh, but anyway, uh, Caesar sends back the guy's head to Pompey and the wonderful little moment like in the letter where he's like, enclosed where you'll find, my, my dearest Pompeius, uh, enclosed you'll find uh, this man. I believe he's yours. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, uh, oh, by the way, I think I'll, I won't be staying in Gaul uh, for the winter. I think we're going to come a little bit closer to home. I'm coming to Ravenna. Bye. And uh, and of course, the episode closes with Pompey deciding uh, that he will not marry uh, Caesar's great niece. He's going to marry Cornelia Metella, right? One of the aristocratic women. Uh, one of the most uh, horrible and just kind of vulgar scenes in the first episode as well, because you have to have more nudity and more gratuitous yes. kind of perversion, is Pompey in the front row of the theater just laughing his head off at the dumbest play, like a big mime about uh, horrors and soldiers uh, coming to fornicate with them and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, Cato just acts as a procurer. Just, Cato just kind of like, hey, you see Cornelia Metella? Do you like her? Do you want her? Why don't you marry her? Why don't you abandon your life with Caesar? And he just kind of acts like a seducer in that scene. In a, way, in a way that is kind of contrary to the memory that the, the kind of reputation that Cato traditionally has. Mm -hmm. uh, in our history, right? Like honorable Cato and honest Cato. And here Cato is just kind of pimping this noble lady around like, hey, that's right. Come on. Do you want it? Do you want it? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it's just this creepy little unsettling scene uh, uh, in the middle of this pilot. It's a good, I think, also contrast of like how utterly vulgar Roman society is. And yet she is the one that reminds everyone, like, I, it is beneath me to be here. There is someone exposing themselves on stage. Like, yes. I literally cannot. Um, I, it would be bad for everyone if I continued. Like, it, like in a way we wouldn't think of today, right? Um, and so it is a kind of interesting um, contrast of, like, yeah, everyone knows that uh, society is totally degraded, but we do have a couple rules. Oh, we, yeah. we forgot them. Oops. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's go enforce the rules again. And it kind of establishes a contrast, I think, between like, for example, Attia, right? Because when, when Attia receives a letter from Caesar saying, hey, Poppy needs a wife, can you find one for him? Uh, his first, the, very, the first thing he does is tell her uh, daughter, uh, divorce your husband, uh, come back, live with me. Tonight, we're having a dinner party with Poppy. And in the middle of the dinner, Poppy, like his, his, his daughter, her daughter was just crying like an hour before because she didn't want to see Poppy. Mm -hmm. already she's just offering her up like okay daughter get on the doggy style position go let the old man have at you uh i'm very glad they spared us that scene like obviously yes. they, should, they 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 you know they're like all right this is what's going to happen but i'm I, 
the first time I saw it, I'm like, please. It is so guys. painful. It is so painful. It I was is like, so... thank God HBO spared me the full, the full Monty because I could not have, I do not think I would have continued to watch no. the show if I had no. to see. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very terrible thing. Uh, and in some ways, because, uh, Octavia is perhaps the most sinned against character in this entire show. Yes. Uh, she is going to be put through hell, uh, uh, throughout the, this, the, the, these next two seasons. Uh, and the show does not spare her from the first episode. Like, we do not get to see her happy ever. We get Pretty see, much no. Yeah. We, get, we get like five minutes of her being happy with her husband before her life is going to go to hell for the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just repeatedly. Like Nothing. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a sad story, but also uh, an entertaining one. Uh, well, he marries Cornelia Natella. Atia freaks out, and the episode closes out with the sight of Caesar's legions leaving uh, their encampment and making their way towards Italian Gaul. And uh, there are a few moments of episodes ending with marches. Uh, I think the next episode is the one where they cross the Rubicon. Yeah. And, and this idea of uh, Caesar uh, telling his... Uh, his trumpeter is like, play something more lively, right? This is depressing stuff. Uh, but I like how the end of this first episode is literally uh, them leaving behind a burned encampment. Like, we can't leave this back here, but they also use it. So we're going to burn our camp down. And that's it. We're heading off uh, to, to, to Italy. And it's this kind of image of destruction, right? This idea that uh, this is uh, Caesar's legacy uh, to the Roman people, right? It is enslavement. It is uh, 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 a lot of terrible things. And one thing I really like about the show is it's kind of realism in regard to Caesar as a kind of tyrannical and kind of bitter and a kind of Machiavellian figure uh, in a way that sometimes uh, gets lost. I think, for example, if you look at, uh, at Shakespeare's, uh, Julius Caesar, right? He is kind of a buffoon. He's very proud and going about saying, oh, Caesar this, Caesar that, I'm so wonderful. And dismissing his wife and then just getting his ass killed. Uh, <laughs> he's not noble in the way that like Brutus is noble in, in, in that play. Uh, and he's not as crafty as Mark Anthony was, right? So uh, in, in a very strange way, the play called Julius Caesar does not really give us a Caesar who is a great man. Mm -hmm. uh, you have, uh, I think, one of my favorite novel series. And if you want a Game of Thrones comparison, uh, this is the, the Game of Thrones of Rome for me. It's Colin McCullough's The Masters of Rome series uh, that tells a story. It's seven books. They're super long. And it's basically retelling the fall of the Republic all the way from the conflict between Gaius Gracchus uh, between the Gracchi and then uh, 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 Gaius Marius and Sulla, all the way to the war between Mark Antony and, and uh, Octavian. And uh, in those books, Caesar is a living god. Caesar's this titan, he's a genius, he's wonderful, he is the hero of the series. And that doesn't work for me either. <laughs> you know? Have you ever read, um, uh, it is, they're rarely good translations, unfortunately, but it does seem like a lot of the plot is borrowed from it, is um, Lucanus's Pharsalia, or no, for Civil not. War. So it's uh, really quite good. Um, the, the problem was, so it was written by Seneca's nephew, who is Nero's like bud. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up being uh, murdered by Nero, shockingly. So unfortunately, it's it's unfinished. It ends with the Battle uh, of Pharsalus, uh, where Pompey is, is defeated. Um, a lot of this, a lot of the plot points are taken from the poem um, that aren't historically accurate. Like later, um, who, the people in Pompey's camp after the first battle who come over to Caesar, uh, who are not physically in real life present. And so yeah, I'm actually surprised reading it now, um, how much of the show is taken from the poem. Uh, the, the bummer is, is there's not a very good metric, um, not a very good metric translation until relatively recently, uh, but it was really popular in America during the Civil War uh, on huh. both sides. The... Um, Joshua Chamberlain references a lot, the Civil War general who becomes really famous. He was a classics professor. Yeah. Uh, the Confederates loved it because of its portrayal of Cato. I think the line about Cato is still on the Confederate Memorial, uh, ostensibly still at Arlington today. But um, so, it, but it is really good because I think it has one of the best portrayals of Caesar as 
which is odd because it's odd because it's dedicated to Nero and yet Caesar is um, considered a really competent person uh, and not a wholly evil, but is like a really amoral person willing, like willing to introduce, he's not personally evil, but he's willing to tolerate a lot of evil uh, in advance of maybe what was once um, a noble um, or at least a justified complaint. And so I think this show does it really well of showing Karen Hins just the exact way, I think, uh, in a way that's realistic of Caesar, as opposed to, like you mentioned, a lot of the others. I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, I think Caesar is admirable. I think he's a, he's, he is undoubtedly one of the great men uh, of ancient history. But in a way, he's great because of his victories. Mm-hmm. That uh, it, it, Let me put it this way. Uh, we can still love uh, 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 Cato and Cicero and, and other Republican figures, uh, uh, despite the fact they lost. And even because they lost, right? A Caesar who lost would not be remembered kindly. Yeah, Caesar lost is Catiline, who everyone hates. Exactly, right? exactly. Because a Caesar lost, to win. a Caesar lost would basically be okay. Here's this man who took uh, uh, his own uh, drive to preserve his fame and preserve his name and, and, and dignitas in Roman society uh, to committing the unthinkable, to turning against his own country and putting his uh, honor at the same level or even above uh, that of his country. And that is just kind of unforgivable, right? <laughs> right. That is the definition of treason, right? Uh, so I don't think the Republicans were wrong in accusing uh, Caesar of treason. Uh, that does not make him uh, uh, a less uh, terrible and, and great and grand historical figure. Uh, but I like the nuance in this portrayal of Caesar by Karen Hines, mm-hmm. where he where he is very transparently uh, a man entire. He is a man with his own emotions. He has a man with his own inner life, but he's also not a particularly good one. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it definitely, I think you have to, like the problem with Shakespeare's right is that Caesar is seen as a little bit incompetent and it just an incompetent or buffoonish Caesar just doesn't make sense. Like this is yes. why yes. all the comparisons, virtually all the comparisons in modern politics, mm-hmm. calling people like an incarnation of Caesar, both like positively and negatively, is always stupid because none of them seem to be relatively competent oh, yeah. or, or chattish, right? You have to be really a rich demagogic class aristocrat. A, yeah, class trader Chad, who is also incredibly competent and intelligent. And like- You have to be FDR. Yeah, yeah, exactly. FDR is probably our closest, right? Um, that that ever really comes to that, and then FDR dies too soon to like continue with like a, a, a scenario where an FDR continues his third and maybe fourth term is a really fascinating one, and that probably would have led to I think a reasonable accusation of Caesarism. But like, there are no mod- like the the Donald Trump of Caesar is just so stupid. insanely stupid, stupid. stupid. because. Um, well, he does posture in the same way as kind of a Chad, right? And you get these people who write this Caesar Trump fanfic on Twitter, which is so insanely cringy. Um, even people I like were just like, please stop doing that. Um, all of the chattishness of Trump is all posture, right? Whereas Caesar actually went out and killed people. He knew how to do it, right? He yes. was a actual soldier. No, he was, he was an actual great general. And right, exactly. So like and, and on top of that, also incredibly competent. The, the difference is, is most of the people accused of Caesarism, um, with the exception of maybe Peron, are all highly incompetent people, yes. right? It's, it's their incompetency that keeps them from being a Caesar, whereas Caesar is the real uh, – there's very rarely the real deal um, ever. Like, I, it's, it's one of the few – like, I think I, – I do think you're correct of him being a great man because it's one of the few people in history of which there is not a very good archetype later, Right. Napoleon probably is your closest person no, like, um, who has that. Uh, who was it Plutarch? Had... He drew the comparison. Like when he had to find a comparison for, for Caesar, it was like Alexander, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> you have to go really far to find a really good comparison to him, uh, even if he is, uh, you know, by our standards, not a good person. Yeah. Uh, all right, Joe, I'll tell you what. Uh, I think we can come up with like more segments and kind of like thematic discussions uh, for future episodes. But I think we've got a on quite a bit on this one. So what do you say we call it a day for today? And then uh, we'll start with next week's uh, episode uh, soon enough. Sounds great. All right, my friend. I will talk to you later.
Take care. And everyone listening, uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, uh, my name there is MB. You can find me at Unrighteous D. Uh, and Joe, what's your handle? That is going to be Paleo Mexicano, all one word. All right. So Unrighteous D and Paleo Mexicano. And you can find us on Twitter to hear, to see uh, Joe's very good posts and my very bad ones. <laughs> all right, my friends, I will. Uh, I won't see any of you, and I won't hear any of you, but you can hear some more of me later. All right. See you all. Take care. Bye-bye.